Good morning, everyone. It's great to have you here at First Christian Church. We're going to look at some scripture together. We're going to look at Judges chapter 9 and uh, see what we can learn together. If you're a guest with us, we're particularly glad you're with us. My name is Wayne. I'm one of the pastoral team, part of the pastoral team, and uh, looking forward to seeing what Judges would have to say for us today. If you're unfamiliar with scripture, it's about that far through the Bible, okay? Or maybe you can pick it up on your smartphone. To everyone in the East, we're very glad you're with us as well. And uh, one church worshiping together today. Uh, I, um, Judges chapter 9 uh, is going to have some difficult topics, so hold on and see what we can learn together. A little bit of murder and mayhem gonna, is going to occur, so you'll be looking for that, all right? And uh, I want to start by asking you while you're turning to Judges 9, what do you know about gravity? Uh, you know, the forces that, that cause it. When you jump, you can't jump very high, or what are the force that causes the earth to circle the sun, and then the moon to go around the earth. What do you know about that? I, I mean, can you explain that? That's been a common quest of uh, science for a long time. In 1687, the English mathematician Sir Isaac Newton finally figured out some things that I think will help us understand it a little more better today. He, he published a work called Principia, in which he gave this sort of mathematical equation that explains uh, gravity, take a look at it on the screen. Here it is. F equals G times M to the 1 to the 2 lower, whatever that means, divided by R squared, right? Does it, more, does it make more sense now? Sure it does, right? In other words, this means, according to Newton, I think, that the strength of the gravitational field, that's the F, okay, is numerically equal to the acceleration of objects under its influence. The rate of acceleration of falling objects near the Earth's surface varies very slightly, depending on latitude, surface features such as mountains and ridges, and perhaps unusually high or low subsurface densities. Do you understand it better now? Yep, you sure do, right? It's like, it's like Greek to you and to me. Well, actually, I know a little bit of Greek, so it'd be, I have to say it's like ancient Chinese, but here's what I know about gravity. If you let go of something in a really high space and it comes crashing down, it's going to tear something up, all right? Or I know that if you've got a, something that's got wheels on it and you let them go from a hill, they'll go down the hill. Or if you were to get a ro in a roller coaster, which is, well, everybody hands up, hands up. You ready? Here we go. Down we go, all right? There you go. Pay attention. Or, yeah, some of you like roller coasters. I can't say I do. Oh, here's another one. Hands up. Hands up. Down you go. This one's going to be a little bit weird because it's actually going to do a corkscrew. Welcome to church. Please use those little white bags in front of you if you're feeling any bit nauseous, okay? So I, I can't say I know a lot about gravity. I do use it every day. Every day I use gravity. I make certain I walk on the earth, that I don't float along. In the passage of scripture we're going to look at today, uh, gravity comes into play in a very, very gruesome way. Let me give you the introduction or the background to the story. There was a fella, 3,200 years ago, ancient Israelite, a guy by the name of Gideon. He was a military leader, and uh, he enabled ancient Israel, because of his leadership and the way in which he managed things, he enabled Israel to have peace for 40 years. This is what the scripture says, that during Gideon's lifetime, the land had peace for 40 years. Once he established the peace as a military man, what did he do then? He went back home to live. And he had 70 sons of his own, for he had many wives. Are you kidding me? 
And then his concubine, who lived in Shechem, also bore him a son, and he named that little boy Abimelech. And then, you know what happened after that? He was dead. He was dead. Do you blame him? That's a lot of wives. That's a lot of sons. That's a lot of... And frankly, then the story gets interesting, though some of you would go, uh, tell me about having all those wives and 70 sons, and then after those 70 sons, having another son by a slave woman. It sounds like an interesting story in itself. Well, that is, but that's not what we're going to look at today, per se. We are, what we are doing is we are in the middle of a, a sermon series looking at the book of Judges. And the book covers um, the ancient struggle for the nation of Israel over a period of about 200 years. And that struggle always came at the hands of evil people. But the vulnerability of the nation towards that evil always was their own fault. Here's why. Years earlier, their leader Moses had said, when you become wealthy and powerful, you'll be inclined to forget your relationship with God. In other words, we spent a long time with this last week, that God is watching over you, protecting you and blessing you. But if you do evil and walk away from God, then that protection won't be there. And then you'll be vulnerable to all kinds of evil, if you will, murder and mayhem. And that's what happened seven times throughout the book of Judges. Um, we have this situation where Israel leaves God's protective care, and as they leave God's protective care, what comes along? Usually murder and mayhem and violence, and then while they're out there in the midst of that violence, they say, hey, God, help us, and have a, there'll be a call to God, a military leader, what the book of Judges calls a judge, will defeat the enemies around them, and they'll come back and to be, be with God, and the nation will walk along for a while, and then the cycle starts over again. And so where we're going to read today is, if you will, at the beginning of another cycle of violence. Gideon has had 40 years of peace. He's led the nation for 40 years, and as he dies, the violence is going to start again because the people of Israel move away from God. This time, though, instead of the violence coming from without, outside the nation, and, and you know, there being a good guy in Israel to defeat the violence, in this case, the violence is within. And uh, the bad guy is not from outside, but from inside Israel. And so when the people walk away from God, disaster is going to come from, from within. Because we read in Judges chapter 8 that no sooner had Gideon died... Then the Israelites again prostituted themselves to the Baals. Those are the gods of other nations. They were supposed to worship just one god, but now they're worshiping a variety of gods. They did not remember the Lord, their God, who had rescued them from the hands of their enemies on every side. And as they walk away from God's protection, what we're going to read in chapter 9 today is all kinds of violence. Violence from within, frankly, from one of Gideon's sons. The son that was number 71, number, uh, number 71, Abimelech. So think about Abimelech. He's got 70 half-brothers who are all born to Gideon and his variety of wives. And then Gideon has a concubine, and a baby is born that way as well. Well, as Gideon dies and all of his property and all of his power and all of the things that he, his position is divided up amongst his family, guess who's at the very bottom of that? You got all the sons from the wives and then you have Abimelech coming last and he doesn't like it. On the one hand, you don't blame him. But on the other hand, what he does with that concern or that frustration on his part is not good either. 
So let's see what happens. Judges chapter 9, beginning at verse 5. He, that's Abimelech, went to his father's home in Ophrah, and on one stone murdered, what, what did he do? He murdered his 70 brothers. Why? Because he, he wants everything. He wants all the money, all the power, all the control of the nation. And the only way he's going to do that is if there is nobody legally in the line before him. And so he kills all his brothers. He killed, murdered his seven brothers, the sons of Jerob Baal. That's, uh, that's another name for Gideon, okay? But Jotham, the youngest son of Gideon, escaped by hiding. Then all the citizens of Shechem and Beth Milo gathered up beside the great tree at the pillar in Shechem. And what they do? They say, okay, your brothers are all dead. Now you get to be king. Wow. It's pretty ugly, right? That the way to get ki- to be king is to kill all the family? Well, at first, everybody was really kind of glad with it, but eventually it led to civil war because as Abimelech began to reign and do the things that he wanted to do, about three years in, the citizens of all the towns around, around, um, around Israel began to remember Gideon's sons. They're long dead now, and the nation has boxed itself in. They've, they've left God. They've chosen the wrong guy, if you will. You could say they put their money on the wrong horse. And they're beginning to chafe under Abimelech's demands. And the narrative in verse 27, if you look, chapter 9, verse 27, says that they actually began to curse his leadership. And pretty soon, various towns were in open insurrection. They were actually violently opposing Abimelech. And there'd be battles, and Abimelech and his henchmen would come in, and they'd kill everybody. And the way in which he would do it would be absolutely awful. So a town would be in rebellion. There'd be a war between the citizens of the town and Abimelech's forces. And he would, um, we have these stories of where he'd force everybody into the town's towers and then he'd actually burn them alive. And so you have, like, for example, towards the, the, the end of chapter 9, where one time he goes and he burns a thousand men, women, and children, burns them inside the, the tower. And he's about to do the same thing again. Murder and mayhem is said what we're going to find in Judges. It's awful stuff. Look what happens when he gets to the city of Tebez, okay? This is chapter 9, verse 50 now. And uh, again, uh, the town has rebelled against Abimelech, and he's this violent man. And so we read in verse 50, Next, Abimelech went to Tebez and besieged it and captured it. Inside the city, however, was a strong tower to which all the men and women All the people of the city had fled, so he's going to burn them again. Different city, different situation now. They had locked themselves in and climbed up on the tower roof. Abimelech went to the tower and attacked it. But as he approached the entrance to the tower to do what? To set it on fire. He'd done this before, so he's going to do it again. As he approaches to set it on fire, what happens? A woman dropped an upper millstone on his head and cracked his skull. This is where Newton's theory of gravity comes into play. What's the theory of gravity? That if you drop something from on high, it is going to hit the ground unless something gets in the way of it hitting the ground. So a woman drops a rock, heavy rock, from the tower, and it comes down. And what stops it from hitting the ground? Abimelech's skull. He's about to die. All right? Read with me. Verse 53 again. A woman dropped an upper millstone on his head and cracked his skull, and hurriedly he called to his armor bearer, draw your sword and kill me, so that they can't say a woman killed him. So his servant ran him through, and he died. 
What'd they do then? When, when the Israelites saw that Abimelech was dead, they went home. That's the funniest thing to me. Okay, let's go home. What? What? Okay. Thus God repaid the wickedness that Abimelech had done to his father by murdering his 70 brothers. All right, so it is undoubtedly a story of murder and mayhem. It's the results of Israel walking away from God, walking away from his protection and his blessings. And we have to ask, okay, is this really something you need to look at in church? We come to worship God and we're going to story about, hear a story about a guy murdering the 70 brothers and their head, the stone on the head and all What's with all of that? What implications, rather than just reading, this, just reading the story for itself, what are the implications of the story? Because there are many. But for today, I'm going to focus on only one matter. And it has to do with our eyes, our wants, and our wishes. Because Judges, and we're going to, I'm going to see, if you, hang with me because we have to unpack this a little bit. Judges talks about a lot about what we see with our eyes and how what our eyes see can lead to having incorrect wants and wishes. Because here's the observation from Abimelech's murderous life. Sometimes getting what you want is not a good move. You can't always trust your wishes and your wants based on your eyes. Because remember what started this whole mess. This whole mess was started when Abimelech said, I want what my father had. I don't want my brothers. I look at that and that's what I want. The people of Israel said, we look at this guy and we want him as our leader. The wants for both Abimelech and for the people brought horrific violence. Ruin and murder and mayhem came along. They made their choices. He was literally murdered, stoned to the head. They were slaughtered in those towers. See, much of the book of Judges is about people misusing their eyes. And if you don't know what to look for in the book of Judges, maybe you won't see it. But see if I can help you understand it this way, that throughout the book of Judges, as I mentioned, there are seven cycles of people moving away and coming back. And every time they move away, there's a discussion about what God sees. So we're looking throughout the book of Judges for to talk about eyes. And so, for example, in Judges chapter 3, at the beginning of another cycle of violence, we read this in Judges 3.12. Once again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And so they're away, they get a military leader. Then they get to chapter 4. Once again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And they go away, and then they come back. Chapter 6, again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Notice it's what God is watching. All seven cycles... Start with, they're doing what is wrong in what? The eyes of the Lord. It's mentioned, that same language is used each time. Because what the author of Judges wants us to do is to assess what it means to do right or wrong in God's eyes versus our eyes. And there's lots of stories about that throughout the book of Judges. I want to bring one to you today. A story you might be familiar with. It's about another guy who's in the book of Judges. If you've been reading along with us, we've ask the congregation to read through the book of Judges with us. You would have ended at Judges 14 today if you're doing that, or this coming week, read through the end of 21, by all means, please. But Judges 2014 has a story about a guy who is um, the ultimate strong man. His name is Samson, 
And he had some problems with his eyes. And some of you go, well, what's what's with Samson? I don't know that story. Well, he's a strong guy who falls in love with a woman. He's seduced by her. And some of you may be old enough to remember this song about her, if you'll listen right now, okay? Remember this? Nineteen sixty-eight. Remember? Some of you remember. What goes? What happens next? Who is it? Yeah, isn't that? How come all of you know that song about seduction? I won't know about that, okay? Samson was seduced by, as a young man, he was seduced by a young woman by the name of Delilah. He fell for this woman who eventually betrayed him. This is the story. She's one of the kids across the back fence that we talked about last week where God had said, now if you intermarry with other tribes and other nations, as you bring your spouse into the Israel, Israelite nation, you are to call for that spouse coming in to, to, um, to convert to Judaism. And Samson didn't do that. And as a result, he had a very torturous life. And he, and he fell for her. And as the Bible describes how he fell for her, it was all based on his eyes and things he wanted. And you don't see it quite so clearly in English um, because sometimes it's... You, there, when he, as the Bible describes his, his attraction to her... It uses Hebrew idioms that don't translate well into English. Like, uh, for example, in Judges 14, as he first sees this woman, he, say, he says to his dad, she's the right one for me. And then in Judges 14, 7, it's described as he liked her. And you go, well, that's what got, what's that got to do with eyes? Well, in Hebrew, those are idiomatic expressions for she's right in my eyes. I mean, I really, I'm real, my eyes are really attracted to her. And his eyes got him in trouble. He led a tormented life. I mean, this woman was horrid for him. As a matter of fact, she led to his death. And it's ironic that at the end of his life, what did his enemies actually do to him? They plucked out his eyes. He chose poorly because of what his eyes saw. And there's this great irony. Because he got what he wanted, he was made blind. The writer of Judges wants us to understand this business of eyes because he's got a zinger that's coming at the very end of the the book that you're going to read this week if you get to chapter 21. All throughout the book, they do evil in the eyes of the Lord. What is it you want? What do your eyes see? And then at the very end, we read this. In those days... Israel had no king. And what did everyone do? They did as they saw fit. There's the problem the Judges is presenting to us. Over and over again, the author wants to point out that if you're just going to do what seems right, that can be problematic. Because if you approach life and say, the way in which I'll make decisions about what I'm going to do is based on what I see... That can be perilous. The people wanted Abimelech. It's what their eyes saw. 
And they were willing to forego the murder of his brothers. They were willing to forget the way in which he allowed foreign gods to be brought into the nation's spiritual life. They were willing to look past the thugs he hired with, with the people's money, albeit. It didn't matter to them. I mean, we read this, that Abimelech used the people's funds to hire reckless scoundrels who became his followers. How sad is it that those people, if you will, think of it this way, government money was used to hire thugs, and then that mo- those thugs were used to actually burn the people who had supplied the money in the first place. How horrid. But why did it happen? Because the nation wanted to do what they saw was right in their own eyes. Each individual said, I'm going to do what I think is appropriate. He looks good. This will probably work out, won't it? And a problem came along. Because then Abimelech did what he thought was right in his eyes. He eventually learned of his own poor choices through a millstone landing on his head. (laughs) You put it this way. He was visited with horror from on high. Don't you reckon? The people failed to make decisions based on correct correct thinking, correct actions. Truth did not win the day. Well, my truth is opposed to your truth, but it's what I see right and what you see right. So you have two truths. Doesn't make sense. Each individual did what was right in their, in their own eyes. I would say it's an ancient version of Panera Bread. You go, what? What? What's Panera Bread got to do with judges? Well, if you walked into Panera Bread lately or within the last few years, most restaurants you go when you say, I'll have that, right? And it's one thing. But you can go to Panera Bread and you can do what? You can say, I'll have a little bit of that and a little bit of that. What's it called? You pick two, right? Wayne, where is this going? Well, think about it. The people of Israel practiced something that theologians call syncretism. What's syncretism? It's worshiping more than one God. It's, it's the, well, you can think about it this way. It's the ultimate pick two. I'll have a little bit of the one God I'm supposed to worship as an Israelite, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'll have a little bit of that God, but I'll also have a little bit of the God from that nation over there, and a little bit of that God over there, and now it's not just pick one, it's pick three. It's, I'll pick what seems good to me, what my taste buds say. We don't do that, do we? Do we? We don't do that with our spirituality, do we? I mean, I'll, I'll have a little bit of the Jesus grace stuff. And I'll have a little bit of the stuff that says I can be forgiven of my sin and because I do want an insurance policy for heaven. I'll take the Savior stuff, the forgiven stuff, but could you hold the butter and I don't like sauce at all. Namely, I'm really not into the Jesus lordship stuff. I'm, I'll pick a couple, but don't ask me to take... Not, uh, no, I'm passing on him being the leader of my life stuff. I'll, I'll take a little prayer, but I'm really not interested in spiritual disciplines. Graciousness toward others? Oh, just a small portion, please. Don't overdo it. Don't overdo it. Don't lather it on there too strong. Sacrificial generosity? No, I'm not interested in that at all. It makes my stomach upset, and it really impacts my pocketbook. My kids don't like it. Margin for, in my life, for personal interaction with God. Does that mean I'd have to read the Bible other than in church? No, probably not. Probably not. I'll pass on that too. You know what that is? That's modern day Christian syncretism. It's, it's like saying, 
A little of the Jesus stuff goes a long way. You, you, you got to mix life up a little bit. You don't need to buy into all that spiritual stuff. Just get a little bit of it. Don't, don't let it crimp what you want out of life. You've got to compromise on some things. Beloved, what would I suggest you do in that regard? Run from that sort of thinking. Run. See, here, here's, here's my understanding of my job here. I have within my job title the word pastor. That means I get to come and I get to uh, visit with you on a regular basis from this pulpit or others and say, other settings and say, you know, God loves you. God really does have a wonderful plan for your life. There is great grace available in Jesus Christ and your sins can be forgiven and you can, you can leave from this worship setting this day and you can have a great week and you can see God move through you and it's like all this good stuff, all this encouraging stuff and all this blessing you and I get that but as part of my title as pastor, I also have the responsibility not only to say, have a great week and do well this week. Also have a responsibility to not only say, hey, grace is available to you. I also have the responsibility to warn you from time to time regarding behaviors that are going to get in the way of all the great stuff of God. The people of Israel should have run from Abimelech's murderous reign. They should have followed God. They didn't. And as a result, people died. Murder and mayhem followed their choices. They should have been running from him long before he ever murdered his 70 brothers. I was reminded of it early this week, um, unexpectedly. I was Tuesday morning, bright and early. I'm headed to work. I, I uh, was in the garage. The garage door goes up, and I could hear overhead of the house or sort of getting louder and louder coming toward the house. We live in Forsyth, okay, on the north end of Forsyth. And this, this noise, and it was all the Canada geese up above flying, okay? And, I'm, and I literally went outside and, and looked up and I'm thinking, what's with this? Okay, so this is February. What direction should Canada geese be flying in February? You'd think they'd be going south, right? They're, aren't they headed for Florida? You know, snowboard, they're going down there. But we live in Forsyth, and you know where they're coming from? Hundreds and hundreds of them, from Warrensburg. I'm going, what's with that? They're not going east, they're going, I mean, they're not going south, they're coming east. What's going on? I get in the car, and I could hear, oh, 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 oh. Hundreds of them. And I, we pull out of our neighborhood. I, I pulled out of the neighborhood. And, you know, making up my way. And I come up, up across the backside of Menards, if you across the street from the park. And I could see the geese. Are, some of them are getting lower and lower in the sky. And I'm thinking, where are they going? Now, some kept going. But there were literally dozens upon dozens. I see. They're landing somewhere. It occurred to me, ah, there's the pond out behind Menards. And, Curiosity got the better of me. I wanted to go see what it looked like as all these geese land. And I went out there. The pond is covered in a lot of ice. And they come land. They go skating across the pond. And then they're just, I mean, I'm out of the car by this time. And I'm thinking, that's, why aren't they in Florida? Give me a break. I would be. I would be under some settings. You know what I mean? So it occurred to me, what would, maybe I can help them on their way. So, so I got my camera out. And I started videoing to see what they would do as I got closer and closer and closer, thinking that all of them are going to take off. Watch the video now. All right? So I'm thinking, so you'll see them. Here's me walking across the field. Yep, they're all going. 
They're all going to leave because I have all this. I might be, might be bringing harm to them. Off they go. Off they go. Except for those guys over there. They just stayed there. And suddenly today's sermon runs through my mind. Most of them decided they should make a run for it. But did you notice some of them just thought, it's okay. We'll, we'll just hang here. No harm, no foul. Come on, I've been waiting for that all week. You heard this earlier, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. This guy's not going to hurt us. And aren't they the epitome of ancient Israel? Harm may be coming, some of those ducks were saying, but it's not going to impact me. And for all they knew, I might have had a shotgun. But they chose to be oblivious. They said, we're not going to run. We're not going to fly. It's too much effort. They should have run. Because otherwise, we could be having duck tacos today. <laughs> Friends. Choose one thing. Choose a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Experience his work in your life. Experience his grace. Experience the challenge of what, challenges of what that means. And experience the lifestyle of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. I invite you to pray with me right now. Lord, the people of Israel... In the book of Judges, we see them going through this cycle seven times, honoring you and then dishonoring you, doing evil what's in your eyes, and uh, because their eyes wanted something other than what you would say was right. At times, we're similar. At times, God, we, um, We say, I want pick two, I want pick three, I want pick 17. I'll have a little bit of you, God, and a little bit of the Jesus grace stuff, but uh, the other stuff, I'll pass on. Lord, in the places where we've done that in the past days, challenge us. In the places where we might be considering that this coming week, help us to run away from that. And to focus on a relationship with you in Jesus Christ that includes the discipline of following you and saying, may our eyes see what you see, God. Indeed, may we be transformed by the renewing of our minds, as Scripture says, so that we'll know what your perfect will is for all things. And we pray this for each and every one of us here this morning. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.